Hello and welcome to Arty Party, celebrating participatory arts in the Northeast. My name is Jay Sykes and welcome to our party. We share the work of creatives and artists living and working in the Northeast. Whether grassroots, emerging or established, everybody is invited. And today, in partnership with Sunderland Culture, we are recording in front of a live audience at the Arts Centre Washington. We are gathered here today at the Arts Centre Washington because there is an exhibition going on called People's Pyrex, celebrating the history and heritage of the Pyrex Company, which of course had a factory here in Sunderland. Uh, later today, Posey Jowett will be sharing more about that exhibition. Give us a wave, Posey. You can hear this interview with Posey Jowett on the second part of the celebration recording in a future episode. Also later today, uh, a new studio named Tuna and Mayo. Odd name for a studio. It's going to be opening in Newcastle, including a range of workshops, including glass. Find out more about its interesting name and what it offers in the next session with Kelsey Lynn Mayo. And also before we begin, I would like to seriously thank Sunderland Culture. It is because of your support lending us this incredible space in the Arts Centre Washington that this event can go ahead. So thank you so much to Sunderland Culture, specifically to Laura Brewers, who sat right there. Thank you, Laura Brewers. But first... We have gathered together three glass artists whose life and work revolves around very different takes on glass as a material. First up, please give a warm welcome to Ayako Tani. Ayako, you've brought a couple of pieces of glass with you today that I'm hoping later we can share, but would you mind introducing yourself as a glass artist? I started melting glass as an office worker in Tokyo. My first degree was economics. I was an office worker in Tokyo about 15 years ago. Then I was desperate to touch the real material to create something. That's how I moved all the way from Tokyo to Sunderland to find this great heritage of glass here. And today I make uh, sculptures for exhibitions and I also do uh, research about local heritage of glass especially Pyrex and what uh, people did after the closure of the factory. Yeah it's my pleasure to be here today. Thank you. What was it about Sunderland then that specifically attracted you to this area when you moved over here? Sunderland is very well known for glass Maybe local people don't take it as a big significance because it's too close to uh, their daily lives. But by coming from the other side of the world, it's amazing what glass heritage we have here in Sunderland. Thank you very much. We'll be talking more with Ayako as this day continues, but also to introduce our other two guests. Um, to her left, uh, Anthony Amoako Ata. Hello, please introduce yourself as a glass artist. Thank you very much. Uh, my name is Anthony Amwaku Ata from Ghana. Let me say, I started glass at the age of 
uh, I think 2015. Back home in Ghana, I did ceramics. When I was in uh, my third year, the department decided to bring glass or to start glass in Ghana. So I decided to, you know, to opt to learn, to understand, because we were doing something about glazes where, you know, you mix like materials and at the end it forms like a glassy layer on the ceramic pieces. So we wanted to understand the material, how glass has been made. Because most of the glass pieces that comes to Ghana, most of the glass pieces have been imported. Whether art or, you know, let me say craft base, you know. So one day one of our lecturers went to US and brought some pieces, you know, like art pieces. So after looking at the piece, I told myself that, no, I need to learn this material. I need to understand it. After my final year, I decided to, to look for the material, to investigate into the material. So I did research about, you know, where I could learn the material glass, you know, went through online, check, you know, so many schools, and then, you know, going through in the internet, and I saw Sunderland, yeah. And Sunderland and English from Ghana, we speak English over here, so English as well. Then I began to look at the facilities the center is having, you know, the history about the glass over here. And I said, wow, in terms of Europe, they have the best, you know, in terms of material, in terms of equipment. So I said, okay, then let me move into Sunderland, you know, to come and learn the culture, you know, the tradition about glass over here. That's the journey. That's why I started to learn about glass. So I started as a master's student and she was my mate. That was where I met you. Yeah. Because of the knowledge in ceramics, transferring from ceramic to glass was a bit difficult initially. But, you know, what I did was to transfer the knowledge I had in ceramics into glass. So I started with casting because in ceramic we do casting. I started with casting and uh, learning a little bit of um, glass blowing, you know, just to find where I fit into. From there, I started making glass sculptures. I move on into, let me say, to do my PhD. And with the PhD, the concentration is on printing because um, I love textiles and I love like the Ghanaian textiles and print. So I decided to integrate, you know, the culture that I have into a new culture, glass, which in, we don't have it in Ghana. So I decided to integrate my culture within the material in which I find myself and to see how that material will communicate in a different world and how they would perceive a culture within another culture. That's what I've been doing for now. Yeah. Anthony's practice is very interesting in that, in a sense, it's creating that traditional style of kento yeah. fashion, yeah. which we'll be coming on to talk about. Yeah. But in glass... And how to make something that is essentially a, a material you can work with and move with into something that inherently as a material that glass is, it's hard. You can't quite bend it once it's been set. So how do you do that? We'll be talking more. And it's wonderful that these connections are emerging. Of course, both Ayako and Anthony traveled here from different countries. There's a connection there. But let's also find the last connection. Anthony, you mentioned that your mate... Sue is here tonight as well. Yeah. So let's welcome also aboard today's Arty Party celebration, Sue Delbridge. Thank Hello, you mate. Very much. Thank you. So please, Sue, tell us about yourself as a glass artist. 
I suppose I need to go back a little bit to another life, if you like, where I studied fine art, particularly was painting and printing. But that's about 22 years ago now. And when I left my degree, I didn't really do anything creative for a long, long time. That really eats away at you. If you don't do anything creative and you are creative, it will chip away until you kind of find an outlet, you know, something to do that with. So I began exploring different mediums, getting back into painting and drawing, and then I discovered glass probably about 2013. I started actually doing some adult learning courses at the Glass Centre. It was mainly fused glass that I started doing. And somebody there, a lady called Sue Woolhouse, who I was learning with, she said, have you ever done any painting on glass? And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, you made, like, little glass paints. And she's like, no, 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 I mean traditional painting on glass, like you would see in churches. And I was like, oh, that sounds really interesting. I'd love to have a go, which I did. And from that point, I was kind of hooked because I found my canvas. And that is kind of what I do with glass. I use it as a canvas. I like to paint on it. I like to draw into it, like sandblast into it, use a Dremel and draw into it. But creating pictures in stained glass that tell narratives as they would have done years and years ago and still, well, you still see in churches. But I'm particularly interested in using it to tell kind of modern day narratives. And something that I feel passionate about is working with art in the community to engage people. And I see stained glass for me. I want to create pieces of stained glass with people in the local community that can go and live in places in the local community that tell stories about you know, their stories, their communities. So that's what I do and what I, what I want to kind of like, where I want to run with it. Thank you, Sue. There's one point that you made there that I'd love to run and pick up with, because again, I'm finding a connection with Ayako's work in that you say, Sue, you're creating the canvas mm. for which the work to exist on. Whereas, well, oh, sorry, go ahead. You have a piece of glass and that's the lovely thing you've got. That you, well, the light comes through the glass and by adding either like layers of paint or stain and enamel, you choose how much light that you let in. Mm. So you're kind of using the glass. As, as the cameras to do that. There are different types of glass that you can use as well, where I use a lot of flash glass, which is like a, a either clear or like a lighter shade of glass with a thin veneer of, of glass over the top of it. And I, I use that to kind of like carve into, with like sandblasting to create images in that way. Yeah, using glass as the canvas. Mm. Versus, and I hope this isn't too much of a tenuous link, versus your PhD, Ayako, in which your work focused not on the canvas, but on creating the ink out of glass. Yeah, and draw on the, in the space, on the air. Can you tell us about this? I'd love to hear about this focus of your PhD. The technique I practice is called lamp working. So um, you have a rod, glass rod, and you have a gas burner. So you melt glass on the torch flame and shape it with the tweezers. Then I noticed that uh, when it's molten, glass becomes like runny honey consistency. So you can stretch out a line in the space. So it's really soft when it's molten, but the flame is only your finger size. So outside of the flame, it solidifies in uh, two or three seconds. So 
you can stretch out a glass line freely in the air, then it sets in the shape. So this glass line recalls your spatial motion. And I thought, I can do this because this is glass. You can't do the same thing with normal ink because ink, it doesn't paint on the air. So I thought that's really interesting and that's something special with glass, the material characteristic of glass. That's how I developed, I name it calligraphic glass or calligraphic lamp working. That was my uh, PhD was about. Shall I show you the example work? Would you like to see it? Yeah. 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 If you've just joined us on the radio version of Arty Party, we are recording in front of an audience today at the Arts Centre, Washington. That's uh, something else, by the way. <laughs> Sneak peek. Okay. This... Can you see the glass line? This piece is titled Ghost. It writes four Japanese characters. Yu, u, re, i. That means ghost in Japanese. So if you read Japanese language, it must be legible for you. But if, even if you don't, this quality of the ghostly fleeting, so it represents the ghost when it casts a shadow in the background, the shadow sways. This is an example of using molten glass as ink. Again, it's interesting to hear you there, Ayako, talk about the way that light encounters your work and how it plays with it in the shadows, in the same way that, Sue, you also were talking about the way that light impacts how you choose to create your canvas when yeah. you're making your stained glass. Yeah. Sorry, I'm, I'm absolutely fascinated by this. Sorry. So literally, like, you, you've heated the glass and you kind of, like, then just... Mm -hmm. As you would... Mm -hmm. as you were writing yes. or drawing. Yes. That's amazing. It's gorgeous, it really is. That like you say, that kind of whole tracing, it's almost like that thing of when you've got a sparkler and you do the kind of, you know, you write your mm -hmm. name or you draw the pictures and stuff yeah. like that. that I think um, if I stayed in Japan continuing glass, glass practice over there, I, I'm sure I wouldn't have done this. I was able to notice this quality and some calligraphic inspiration because I moved to Sunderland. Because I, I was away from home, I had a chance to look, like, reflect on my own culture, to uh, think deeply about, about myself, and this emerged from there. And also the glass center on the course, Sunderland, they allowed me to do experimental things like this. When I was making this in a studio, probably these lines, they looked like a, as if I was making rubbish. But um, <laughs> the environment in the glass center, they allow us to do anything silly or experimental. Mm -hmm. Do you agree mm -hmm. with me? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yes. Uh, is it a continuous or it's like, um, it's a continuous, oh wow. Can I ask you, Anthony, in terms of being away from your home country and coming to Sunderland, away from Ghana, did that distance impact your own work as well? Uh, yeah, yeah, it did, really, you know. Because one thing is, um, back home, in terms of art, it's about craft, really. When you make a work, a piece, the end, someone asks you, you know, what are you going to use it for? They want an end use, like a bowl, 
yeah, you can eat inside the bowl, you know. Anything, you know, is about craft, really. So when I came over here, and then I made my first catches, you know, and then I met my supervisor, Jeff. So I did the work, and then when Jeff saw the, you know, the sketches, Jeff said, no, if you think, <laughs> you know, Jeff said, no, there's a difference between art and craft, you know, you can't do this. <laughs> you can't do this, <laughs> you know. Yeah, you can't do this one. So um, in terms of uh, art, you know, talking about the work and also the expression about, you know, because some of the things that we do over here, if, you know, if you take it back home, they'll perceive it differently because with them, even if it's a bowl or you are making some, you have to, let me say, suppose have an end use, really, you know, in terms of the ceramic aspect where I came from. So when I moved here and then, you know, the culture about art, you know, how people put things together and based on, you know, the concept, over there, everything was like structured. We go to school, we give you the assignment, you do this, you know, the teacher marks. And unlike here, it's like they give you the opportunity for you to develop your own. The difference between things that over here and the things back home is about the influence, the person, other artists that influenced you in your work. Back home, we don't really stress much on that because we develop most of our ideas from nature. So they ask like basic design, they ask you to develop from natural object or other stuff. We don't really talk about, oh, this artist or this artist or this artist or this, you know, really. But so over here, let me say, in terms of, apart from the material, the knowledge that the material has impact, impacted in, onto me, you know, those kind of like influences from other artists and also going to other galleries and museums to see what's happening and then influencing your pieces. I love to hear that. That's really liberating then, that this new perspective is not just about the end product, yeah. but about what else it can mean, what else it can signify. Yeah. And since you talk about how in your culture in Ghana, things are often influenced by the natural, yeah. this fabric at the focus of the work that you're creating, where you're making a fabric as a piece of glass, yeah. kente, yeah. Kente, correct me if I'm wrong, does that thought come from a spider's web? Yeah, yeah. Can you tell me about kente and, and its right. design? Okay, um, kente is, is, is a type of a textile fabric that belongs to one of... In Ghana, we have a lot of clans, or let me say tribes. For example, uh, we have people from Sunderland, from Manchester, from Newcastle, and all kinds of... You know. <laughs> we have tribes too, don't yeah, we? we have tribes. <laughs> yeah, so we have a clan called uh, the Ashantis. With the Ashantis, you know, in the old, like, the 90s, there were two brothers that went into, uh, that's the history behind, they went into the forest and then they saw the spider weaving. They got the idea, they look at the spider, how the spider was weaving, and they got the idea from. So when they came back home, they started using raffia, the lathe to weave, you know. So they started with raffia, they were weaving with raffia, and then they started with cotton. So that was where they started, you know, before the British came in and then they brought the whole kind of stuff. Because there they were dying, you know, they were using cotton and then using bark of trees and then other leaves to dye the colors and then to weave. So that's where the kente came from. But the idea is from the spider, according to history. Two brothers went in and then they learned it from the spider. And one thing is kente was a fabric that was meant for the royals. So it was kente, the royal for, you know, the fabric for the royals. Those in the, you know, in the royal family, they were the only people who had access to the fabric. 
So it was this during this contemporary in the 90s, late 90s, where people began to have access. In fact, if anyone uses Instagram, I know you're a big fan of Instagram, mm-hmm. Anthony. Um, your name on there is at Kente underscore glass. So that's K-E-N-T-E underscore glass. And you can check out some of his work on there and see the way that he's constructed this material that's meant to be fluid, like cloth, in the same way that the Ashanti people would wear. The idea is about uh, making glass to look like a woven fabric. You know how the texture, the feel of a woven fabric. So the idea is to print and after that manipulate or slump the glass to form like how, you know, you see a folded fabric. So it's a combination of patterns from, from the Akan people and symbols. So the other one is bullseye. I'm working with bullseye glass for powder printing and also for, for fusing and also I'm using the, the water jet. So it's a combination of powder printing, fusing, and then water jet, really, yeah. The whole project is about economic um, depreciation. You know, I'm trying to talk about economic depreciation, uh, displacement, immigration, integration, things about political and social around the world, you know. I'm talking about how do people perceive when it comes to fabric. Back home, when it comes to the Kente fabric, we buy it based on the meaning. Every fabric has a meaning. Every pattern has a meaning. So in a gathering, when you see someone wearing this particular fabric, based on the pattern, you'll be able to, if you understand the pattern, you know that, yeah, that's the meaning. At the birth stage, there's a fabric that we wear during puberty, right? During uh, when there's death, you know, there's a kind of a fabric that we wear. So I'm trying to look about how people perceive when you're buying a material or when you're buying a fabric. Do you buy a material based on the meaning or you, you buy it based on the color or the pattern? Or do you buy it based on the color or you just buy it because you like it? So that's what I'm trying to, apart from uh, making glass look like a woven fabric. Hey there, Jay here from RT Party. We're about halfway through the first episode of our podcast and it is great to have you on the journey. But whilst this is our first podcast episode, we have been broadcasting our weekly radio show on Spark, a community radio station based in Sunderland, for just over four years. To date, that's 173 episodes. But now our journey into podcasting has been made possible thanks to support from people like yourself. We set up a funding goal on Patreon, Uh, Patreon is an online service which allows you to support projects and creatives financially at the cost of only a few dollars a month, whatever you decide. Well, our goal was to get $20 a month on Patreon. Enough funding to cover a podcast feed hosted on Libsyn. And as of today's recording, we've done it. Or I should say, you've done it. You have made this podcast possible. And one of the rewards that we offer is a shout out for every person who backs our podcast. So, a huge thanks to our five Patreon backers. Thanks to Chantelle Irby. She's a DJ under the name DJ Awkward Black Girl. And she hosts a collective of all female artists, crafters and DJs called Sister Shack. Thanks to Stephanie Smith. 
She is a visual artist based in the city and the focus of last year's BBC Radio 4 documentary, Drawing in the Dark. Thanks to Joe Howell. She's one of the leading photographic artists based in the Northeast, whose recent participatory projects included the Look and Inspire and Hashtag We Are Experimenting projects. Thanks to Laura Willis. She's an emerging audio producer with a love and talent for speech audio production. And she's about to start her final year of BA Media Production at the University of Sunderland. And finally, thanks to our latest Patreon backer, Nikki Kaur. She's one of the founding members of TriLife TV, an organisation based in Newcastle who deliver powerful social messages to young people through engaging interactive storytelling. More information about all five of our Patreon backers is available on artyparty.com. That's arty with a Y, party with an I. Y-I. It means the world to me that we've been able to fund this podcast thanks to your support. Uh, to know that there are people willing to back this project and the work that it does for artists and creatives in the Northeast, that it doesn't go unnoticed. I'm Jay Sykes. I've waffled on way too long now. So uh, back to this first episode of the Arty Party podcast, recorded in front of a live audience at the Arts Centre, Washington. One thing that I'd love to focus on for the next part of our discussion, because all of you, all three of you have this in common, is the National Glass Centre and studying at the University of Sunderland, whether that is Sue and Anthony through Masters or Anthony and Ayako through PhD. So I wonder, an open question, in regards to your experience at the National Glass Centre and the university, what has that been like for you as a resource? And is it important that we have access to things like that? Definitely. Um, I was saying before, wasn't I, when I was talking about my practice and how I came about doing stained glass, it was through trying out different bits and pieces, mainly fused glass, then kind of falling into painting on glass. And I thought, right, I want to explore this further. How am I going to do this? And that's where the, the MA came in because it was an opportunity for me to kind of go to a space with all the facilities people who are working with glass and different ways of working with glass. And was, this is it. When you're coming to, I think you touched on this, you're coming to a medium which you've, you, you're, what you're familiar with in some ways, but it's like you want to work with it and you want to make it do certain things for you. So it's being able to engage with people who are in the practice of doing that and learning what they know and then where you want to push it as well. It's like interesting what you'd said about you showed Jeff what you wanted to do and he was like, really? You know, as in like that way, <laughs> I don't think it's going to do that. But it, you, you have to find out where you can push it. And that's what certainly the university and, and the Glass Centre, because you get to, you see all the like the wonderful exhibitions and sort of like exhibits, that they are very closely linked, the university and the Glass Centre, kind of like promoting each other and the artists and the lecturers and... It's sort of like a history of that. You've, I don't know if you've, any of you have been to the Glass Centre recently to see the NGC 21 exhibition, but it's like, that's a, a fantastic, I think. It shows, that illustrates it really. It's kind of like you've got all the those people who've been involved with the university and come as like visiting lecturers or they've studied there and then they, you know, they might have started on their foundation, gone through their BA, their MA. And it's just, yeah, you know, I think it's, I think it's a very supportive environment and and a good 
good, fantastic facility for learning. Does it feel to you like a family, like that kind of network? Yeah. Yeah, I and think also, so. I think there are, because from the point of view of like when I started, I, I went into the MA as a part-time student. You did it and full-time, didn't you? You did it in the one year. I was working at the time and, and I'd, I'd always intended to kind of work and come out debt-free. It didn't really work out that way because <laughs> I, I, it's my second year and I was like, right, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? And it was because I wanted to get back into working creatively and I thought, well, you know, you know, see where this goes so therefore I took out a loan and I just immersed myself in the environment of being at the university in the glass centre and that was I suppose that's the best thing I could have done because you start off and you'll see people who are coming to the end of their BA journey or ones who are just beginning and you're somewhere kind of like in the middle or it's even like Rita here who had finished just the year before me and now I got to know Rita who she was coming back in and doing sort of like bits of work with Kate and that and that's kind of like you form another relationship just because of like different artists coming back into it and then you're following people who are going through or people who come back so like Anthony and you know and Ayako coming to study but you came back in yeah. to do your PhD so it's, it's kind of like an ebb and a flow if you like and you, it's certain events that you come to it's like and it's NGC 21 and you're like oh my goodness you know <laughs> hey how's it going you know kind of catch up with people in those which is nice the NGC 21 exhibition I believe Laura Brewis is open till is it September it is check that out on the uh... somebody else tells oh <laughs> 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 Rita, thank you so much. So uh, until the middle of September, you can check out this exhibition, the NGC 21, celebrating 21 years of the National Glass Centre here in Sunderland, if you haven't checked it out already. Ayaka, sorry, you were going to respond earlier as well to that question of this community. Yeah, um, I think Glass Centre works as a, like a gathering point of the people who has some link to the glass industry. I feel it strongly since I started working with the glass blowers in the glass and, uh, in the studio, uh, Brian Jones, to be specific. Um, Brian Jones, he was originally uh, trained in a Pyrex factory as a, a scientific glass blower. When I was completing my PhD, I said to Brian, Brian, I've been just like on my own writing thesis for too long. I need some reha rehab, rehabilitation to go back to the real world to like, mingle with the people. So Brian allowed me to sit in with him in his studio inside the glass center. He runs his business inside the glass center as a tenant. So every weekend I went and sit down with him and his business colleague Norman to blow glass. They were too busy to teach me all the time, but I learned a lot by watching what they did. And also what was great there was there are constantly many visitors from Sunderland and they, they tell us stories how they lived and worked in Sunderland. That's wonderful. I think ethnographers should sit in the glass center and do research. <laughs> yeah. 
And uh, just to, to advertise what's coming up later today, uh, we'll be talking more about the People's Pyrex exhibition and stories of people who, who worked uh, within Pyrex, uh, as well as those who have a connection to the, uh, to the Pyrex that they've donated to this exhibition as well with Posey Jowett and potentially other guests as well. To give a bit of background about how I met Sue Delbridge originally, we met um, at uh, when, when you joined the Enterprise Place, which is a support service offered by the University of Sunderland to students and graduates. Kelsey, you got a thumbs up there as well. <laughs> Amazing. Oh, great. So uh, here's a plug for them. They give free business support and advice to students and graduates of the University of Sunderland. And uh, that's where we met, Sue, mm. because you're a sole trader with your glass, freelance. Yes, yes, I am. Kelsey, for instance, who we'll be talking to later, she's got her own kiln now. We'll talk about a bit about the process of how that happened. But Sue, you using the Glass Centre and being a freelance artist, you have your own kiln, do you not? I mean, how did you find breaking away? That's my question. How can you like get out of the Glass Centre and into your own space? Oh, to be honest, Jay, because uh, I, I do have my own space. It's the front bedroom of, of, of our flat. And... <laughs> I'm kind of like trying to break out of that actually into a studio space where I've got more room to work. But um, I have my own kiln at home, which is brilliant. And I was actually through joining the uh, Enterprise Place and making an application for graduate loan that got me my kiln, which has been brilliant because it's the wonderful thing about being at the university is you you have access to all the facilities and then when you're not there all of a sudden it's like oh, <laughs> oh no and you've got to like find money to like hire kilns and various other bits of equipment that you need to do whatever you want to do so having that little kiln has been invaluable but there are times when you know I might, I might hire a bit of equipment like I'm, I don't have a sandblaster so it's, it's useful that there are you know I know that I could do that at the glass centre if I needed to or there are the people through the network of being at the glass centre that I know who have these facilities in their studio so I'm able to kind of like access equipment to make things it's still a good link to have and I, I, I mean I love I love the link that I have with the glass centre I'm very involved with them I run the creative age group yes on a Thursday afternoon um, so we were there this afternoon we were making fused glass landscapes the creative age group is for primarily, well, for, certainly for us, it's for people with dementia and their carers, or sometimes just carers come along. It's a couple of hours where they can just immerse themselves in a piece of creative activity. It's creating an environment where people feel safe and secure and just happy, happy to be there. A woman today, she comes with her father that come yeah they come every week and she said he's he's always so happy so I wish you could see him on the way home because he's just chattering away she said by the time we get home he doesn't know where he's been and I said brilliant that's job done I said whether he remembers what he's done what he's engaged in that doesn't matter and I told her I did some training dementia friends training quite a few years ago there's a lovely lady called Liz Williams who works with the Alzheimer's Society and she does like fantastic dementia friends training and she told us it was a it's a Maya Angelou quote actually people might forget the things that you say and people might forget what you do but they'll never forget how you make them feel and if you can create an environment for people where they just feel safe and happy to take part and they know 
if they feel at home there, then I think that's what participatory art is, is about. Regardless of what you necessarily make as an end product at the end of it, it's, it's the process, um, engaging people in the process and getting them to express themselves. So. Thank you, Sue. And thank you so much for mentioning this, because I was hoping we'd be talking at some point about the creative project ah. with uh, Equal Arts, of course. Yeah, um, and Sunderland Culture. And Sunderland Culture. You, well, they, they support us at the Glass Centre anyway, so. <laughs> God, they're everywhere. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I wonder then, can I open this question out further to Anthony and to Ayako? Have you led any workshops yourselves or worked with people uh, on your projects? Or are they purely solo projects? I've worked with uh, at the second years on printing. Most of my pieces, like I do most of printing really. I'm using um, powders and also using animals. So uh, with the with the second years, I did a like printing with them how to uh, use powder printing, you know how to transfer like images and also that's what I've done with. Let me say with with the second years really. Uh, Again, I think it's wonderful in that you're adding to this sense of this cohesion, this family at the Glass yeah. Centre, yeah. that you're helping pass on the skills that you've learned yeah. to upcoming students, yeah. which is really wonderful. And then I'm assuming, Ayako, you do teaching as part of your, well, part of your PhD and since as well. Yes, I, I occasionally teach students. But if I talk about involving in the community or my relationship of my practice and community, the project about glass ships and bottles. Mm. Um, I'm going to hold up this book at this point. Main this thing. Is Vessels of Memory, Glass Ships and Bottles. Do you want to share more about this project? Sure. Ayanka? This came all after my PhD. Many people think that I'm a doctor of glass ships and bottles, but that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> So I started working with Brian and Norman, then noticed that, in fact, glass ships and bottles used to be a big enterprise in Sunderland. I didn't know that, and still, I don't think many people are really aware of that significance. But when the heavy industry started declining in the 70s, a lot of skillful glass blowers, Brian and Norman themselves, they lost their factory jobs, but they didn't give up. They applied their expertise to something new, which was ships and bottles. So they made a lot of ships and bottles, established independent studios. Then commercially, they made a big success. And in the 80s and 90s, Sunderland was the biggest place in the production of glass ships and bottles. They exported ships and bottles all over the world. Sandland was the absolutely the biggest place. And I found out this history in the conversation with the local people. If I didn't talk to the visitors to the glass center, I wouldn't have known about this history. So I interviewed local people, I could listen to their experiences. Then so it's like not me discovering this history, like local people, we uncovered the history together. Fantastic. Also, one of the pieces that you've brought with you, Ayako, oh. is a, a ship and glass bottle, which you, sorry, glass ship and bottle, which you have said has circulated around the world from Sunderland and now is back here. Yeah. This one. There's a label at the back. It says, 
Abbey Glass, handmade in England, Sunderland, England. I bought this from a lady in Edinburgh. I traveled to, the, to Edinburgh to meet this lady. She was putting this on Gumtree. And so we met at the Waverley station. It was made in Sunderland. I asked her where she bought it and she said, in South Africa. Her family used to live there, which means Abbey Glass, oh, and this company was established by Graham Fowell from uh, James A. Jobling. He was a glassblower there, but he had to leave James A. Jobling around, uh, in, in the late 70s. He established this company, Abbey Glass, in Deptford or Pallium, sorry, it, it's written in my book. <laughs> and uh, so then this was exported all over the world, including South Africa. So this was exported then with the lady, with her family, came back to Edinburgh. Then I brought it back home in Sunderland. <laughs> and it's a ship. So it's really, um, I think, if you have a creative writing skill, you can uh, write a good story about yeah. the voyage of this ship. <laughs> That's great. Wow, thank you. Your work as well recently has been seen by many people in, in the centre of the Bridges Shopping Centre oh. in Sunderland. Yeah. Is that made out of plastic? or That was made of plastic. It didn't include glass. <laughs> I worked with a group of students to make an installation about large ship in a bottle, but all made out of waste plastic bottles. Plastic waste is a big concern of us today, and so we wanted to create something to communicate about this environmental concern. Ships in bottles, this has been my interest for recent years. So we combined these two ideas together then uh, made this installation in the shopping mall. Yeah, I worked with five students. Yeah, it's a joy to exchange ideas with uh, students from different study areas, like not only glass and ceramics, but fine art, illustration. If I could just say thank you so much to our three artists for, for talking today. I really appreciate you coming on board today's Arty Party celebration here at the Arts Centre Washington. Thank you so much, Ayako Tami. Thank you. Thank you. Anthony Amawako Anta. Thank you also so much to Sue Delbridge. Arty Party is made possible thanks to funding and support from the Arts Council England and National Lottery Heritage Fund through the Unlock Strand of Sunderland Culture's Great Place Scheme. Part two of our celebration recording at the Arts Centre Washington in partnership with Sunderland Culture includes Posey Jowett, the project coordinator at the Arts Centre Washington, telling us more about the People's Pyrex exhibition. Kelsey Lynn Mayo, a glass artist based in Newcastle who's opening up a studio in Newcastle and offering workshops that cover a range of different artistic pursuits called the Potluck Events. And you'll also hear from Pauline Waters who attended the event and came upon stage to talk about her experience working in the Pyrex factory. All of this and more on the next celebration event of Arty Party.